Chef, uh, I'm Marcus Brooks. I'm from... I know, I'm Luca. A Street, start at 5 a.m. Your section's at the end of the bench. Yeah, Chef. That's six o'clock, that's always facing the guest. Yes, sir. Try. Nuzzle that slither into the pudding just to lock it in. Yes, sir. Not clockwise, sir. Start the same way. Uh, yes, sir. No, again, Chef. Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Worse. Are you afraid to just stick it in there, you know? Just be confident about it. Don't second-guess yourself. Yes, Chef. You know how to make cheese slow gelé? Yes, sir. How to make gelé dextrose. Recipe. Thank you, chef. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. It has been at least two sermons since I've showed clips from my favorite summer binge watch uh, TV show called The Bear that's on uh, Hulu. The second season of The Bear is all about this group of people that are working really hard, making all kinds of efforts to open a new restaurant, a gourmet restaurant in Chicago. Chef Marcus is the pastry chef at The Bear. I'm pretty sure that God might be calling me to become a pastry chef and make desserts. I'm not sure. He gets sent by his boss to a fancy gourmet restaurant in Copenhagen, Denmark, to learn as kind of an intern from Chef Luca for a while as they prepare to open this restaurant. Uh, the scene plays out. They make this incredible dessert that you see on the screen right there. When Marcus takes a bite of it, his face lights up. He's like, this tastes like, you can't quite place what it tastes like. Lucas says, it tastes like a minty Snickers bar. I'm ready to eat. Okay, we've got a, a mission statement at Hope. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's say this together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. We also have a vision, and let's remind ourselves of the vision. Say this with me. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. And we return to our mission and vision on a pretty regular basis because on a pretty regular basis, we need a reminder. And, and the mission and vision remind us this is what God is up to. This is who God is helping us become. It's our mission. And this is what God wants us to do, our mission and our vision. Uh, to keep us on track with our mission and vision, we have five core values as a church. Core value number four says following Jesus is a growing experience. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. All year long at Hope, we are making our way, reading through the whole Holy Bible together. Last week, we were in a book called First Peter, which is really a letter uh, that Peter writes to the churches as they are starting and growing in those decades after the resurrection of Jesus. 
And part of what Peter focuses on in this first letter is this idea, Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the solid rock. Jesus is the firm foundation upon which our lives can be built. He's the firm foundation upon which the whole church can be built. It's important to understand Jesus is our cornerstone. But the other thing that Peter writes in his first letter is Jesus is also our stumbling stone. And it's important and helpful to understand Jesus as our stumbling stone. Kind of where we ended last week was the idea, Jesus, our cornerstone, takes our stumbling stones and turns them into stepping stones. And I kind of challenged you to just kind of think about your life. And isn't this the way life works? Isn't this how we grow more frequently than not? We stumble, we fall, we get knocked down, and then the mercy of God gets us back up on our feet again. And this is how we grow. It's how our faith gets strengthened. I've been thinking a lot about high school the last couple of weeks. Um, I think part of it is because our son Shaden is a junior in high school and his uh, football season ended. And then we got to go watch Centennial play in the playoffs two Fridays ago and they won that game and kept advancing in the playoffs. And then on Friday night, we got to go and watch the Ankeny Hawks beat the uh, terrible Catholics of Dowling. I should never say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We love the Holy Catholic Church. We say this all the time. I'm sorry. But it is fun to, to win. And, and so I kind of am feeling like I'm a good luck charm. I go and my team wins. But I forgot that if they keep winning, they're going to have to play each other. And that's what's going to be happening on Friday. Uh, Centennial will play Ankeny. And I'm taking uh, bribes. Who wants me to sit in their section? So nachos, I'll sit in your section for the first quarter. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I think really what I need to do is uh, just cheer for Bondurant and North Polk because they're going to the Dome also. Lots of hopesters in all kinds of communities around here just having an awesome, awesome fall. Uh, our sports were not that good when I was in high school. Uh, we had a, a small team, a small school, and they let me play pretty much everything. Football, basketball, track, tennis, uh, choir, band, speech, you name it. And all of my friends, we were all involved in all of these activities. Uh, my group of friends in high school, we called ourselves the Hot Tuna Brothers. Kind of a long story. We don't have time for it today. But as we got closer and closer to graduation, I was looking forward, my plan for the summer after high school graduation, spend as much time as I could with the Hot Tuna Brothers before we all went our own separate ways. Well, about a week after graduation, I got a phone call from a group called the Continental Singers and Orchestra. As there was a girl that I graduated from high school with. Her name was Michelle. Uh, Michelle had been planning for quite a while to spend the summer after graduation on tour, kind of a short-term mission trip through the whole summer with this contemporary Christian music group. Michelle actually ended up being a, a longtime choir director at Pella High School. If any of you are uh, familiar with stuff in Pella, maybe you've heard her name before. But Michelle goes out to uh, rehearsal camp, and they say they need a trombone player. And she said, you should call my friend Scott. So they called me up and asked me to, to join the tour, and I said, no, I want to hang out with the Hot Tuna Brothers in rural Iowa all summer. <laughs> and my, I, that's exactly what I said. My parents said, uh, Scott, you might want to consider this. And so I ended up going, and it was, it was a really transformational summer for me in all sorts of ways. You, you, it was the summer of 1990. And you have to remember, contemporary Christian music was pretty new and pretty rare in the summer of 1990, so it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. The group that I was in was 30 young people, uh, ranging in ages from 16 years old to 26 years old. I was 18, just graduated from high school, and 
just a little bit about me. Like, my parents, they took us to church every weekend. We went to Sunday school every weekend. From fifth grade to eighth grade, I went to a Christian school, so I got math class, and I got science class and history class, and I got English class and Bible class. So when I was 18, I thought, I got this whole Christianity thing figured out. I know everything there is to know about being a Christian. I know the answers to the questions the Sunday school teachers are going to ask. When I was 18, I thought I'm probably the best example of a spiritually mature 18-year-old the world has ever seen. <laughs> Pride goes before the fall, right? So I go out to California and, and join this group of young people. And I had never seen anyone worship like these young people worship. Before every concert, we would get together in a room in the church. So we were in a tour bus going around from church to church, city to city all summer long. And before each concert, we'd get into a room in the church and we would worship and we would pray together. Never seen anybody worship the way they pray, uh, worship. Never seen anybody pray the way they prayed. They would quote scripture like they had the whole thing memorized. And I'm looking around at kids younger than me. 16 and 17-year-olds who are living as though Jesus is really alive and active and present in the moment-by-moment moment living out of their lives. And I quickly realized, I've got some growing up to do. I, there's more to this than I had imagined. I want to read to you how Peter's second letter begins. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'll start in verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Right at the beginning, Peter's making this clear. This letter is all about me trying to help you grow, mature in your faith. Keep reading in verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Those are the first four verses of this letter. And in these four verses... Peter is saying, I want you to grow. I'm going to help you grow. And part of what you need to grow in is your understanding of who God is. And Peter is reminding us central to the heart of God, central to the character of God. This is who God is. God is a giver. God is generous. God is gracious with you. Think of all the good things, the incredible things God has given to you, like the gift of faith, like more and more grace and peace, everything you need for living a godly life. These great and precious promises that as you grow in your ability to trust the promises of God, it's going to be beneficial for you today and for all eternity. Look at all this good stuff. It's like God is giving you the keys to the kingdom. Because God has given you all this stuff, Peter wonders, how are you going to choose to respond? All this stuff that God has done for you, now what are you going to do in return? That gets us to verse 5. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this out loud with, together. Read it with me. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Because of everything that God has done for you, let's get to work, Peter says. Make every effort to grow, to, to move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And before we get too far into this idea, let's make some important distinctions. 
as we're talking about growing spiritually, which is what we're going to be doing all day today, it's important to remember uh, we don't grow spiritually. Spiritual growth is not about earning salvation. Spiritual growth, according to Peter and the other biblical writers, is something that just starts to naturally flow out of people as we learn to trust and and put our faith in the promises of God. Uh, This week, we were remembering the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, The Protestant Reformation, what Luther and the Reformers, part of what they were protesting was some false teaching that had made its way into the church. That the people like me, religious leaders, pastors, they were telling congregations, here's what you need to do to get to heaven. Here's what you need to do to be saved. Here's what you need to do to be made right with God. Here's the work that you need to do. Here's the money that you need to give in order to be saved. And Peter addresses this false teaching because it's a constant temptation in church world. So in verse 5, he says, make every effort. In verse 10, he's going to say, work hard. But in both of those places, the efforting and the work that he's asking us to do is all in response to what God has already done. So when it comes to salvation, Peter could not be more clear. Salvation doesn't come from anything we do. Salvation is a gift that God gives to us because of what God has already done. We're saved by grace, and grace from beginning to end, start to finish, is all about what God has already done. So, Peter says, I want you to work hard, and I want you to make every effort not to be saved, but so that you you can experience the fullness of salvation that God has for you. Um, I I heard this one time, somebody said this that was, was helpful to me, maybe it'll be helpful to you. The idea is grace is not opposed to effort, grace is opposed to earning. We can't earn salvation, but the effort that we do helps us grow into a full experience of salvation, Peter says. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. So it's supposed to be this constant expanding reality as we mature in our faith, as we take steps of faith, as we grow in our faith, it gets better and better and better. Uh, Chef Marcus over in Copenhagen, he's trying to get better as a chef, and Chef Luca is willing to help him. He's generous and gracious, willing to help him get better. Take a look. 225 grams, Chef? Correct. So how long you been a cook? About a year and a half for you. Uh, 14 years now. Oh, so you started when you was three? <laughs> uh, close enough, yeah. Where'd you grow up? Uh, London. You're from Chicago? Yep, Chicago. Did you go to school for this? I didn't, no. Uh, I didn't do too well in school. Got in quite a bit of trouble. Ditched the check. They caught me. Made me wash dishes, and uh, I loved it. How'd you get good at this? (sighs) Honestly, I made a lot of mistakes. I think as I started early, I got my skill set up really quick and then started to feel like I was really the best, you know? Like at all these really good places, I really was the best cook. And then I started at this really great place as a commie. And this other chef started the same day as me. And I thought we were competition, uh, but really we weren't. 
Like, he was better than me, much, much better than me. He worked harder and faster than I ever could. And it was the first time I realized that I wasn't the best and I was never gonna be the best. So I started looking at it like it was a good thing. Like at least I knew who the best was now and I could take that pressure off myself. And the only logical thing to do was to try and keep up with him. So I never left this guy's side. And you got better. Oh, mate, I got better than I ever thought I possibly could be just from trying to keep up with him. Following Jesus is a growing experience. Luke is talking about how he gets better, how he grows as a chef. He says at one point in his life, he thought he was the best until he met someone who was better. And I, I love the way he talks about his response to that. He, he says, when I realized there was someone better at this than me, it actually set me free. It set me free so I could start to grow. Once I figured out there was someone better than me, I never left that chef's side. I followed in his steps. I made every effort to keep up with him. And as I was doing that, I got better than I ever imagined I could be. It was a humbling process for him. There was a stumbling stone there for sure, but that stumbling stone turned into a stepping stone and he grew, he got better. Peter talks about it this way for us in terms of our faith. Christ is your example and you must follow in his steps. Once we realize that Jesus is the example for us to follow, stick as close to Jesus as you can. Try to keep up with Jesus. Shape your life around the life of Jesus. It will be humbling at times, and that stumbling stone will turn into a stepping stone, and your faith will grow. I've, I've experienced this multiple times in my life. Certainly the summer of 1990, when I was 18, and I thought I had it all figured out, and then I quickly realized, no, I got some growing to do. It was humbling, stumbling stone that turned into a stepping stone, and my faith grew. Similar thing happened five years later. The summer of 1995, in June of 95, I was hired by Central Presbyterian Church in Des Moines to be the director of youth ministry. It was my first job in church world. My boss was a woman named Molly. Molly was the longtime Christian ed director at that church, so she was in charge of what's going on for children and middle school and high school students. And they brought me in to work mostly with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and Molly was kind of coaching me in, in that process. Well, it was June. And there's not much going on for middle school and high school students in most churches in June. And I didn't know anybody. And so I would show up at church, I'd show up at the office and just kind of stare at my computer, which was really this tiny word processor, I think is all it was. And I, I just didn't know what to do. Kind of like twiddling my thumbs, thinking, ah, I need some help. And Molly picked up on that. She would come in and check on me from time to time, but it was very clear to her, Scott needs help. So because she loved me, she went to the senior pastor, uh, the Reverend Dr. Stuart D. Broberg. And uh, Molly said, Stu, I think Scott could use some help. So one day in early July, he came into my office first thing in the morning. He said, let's go to one of the Sunday school rooms. When's the last time you sat in a chair in a Sunday school room? The chairs are tiny. So I'm sitting there in this tiny chair, and Stuart is at the chalkboard. We didn't have dry erase boards. It was a chalkboard. And that day, he taught me how to do student ministry. He asked me questions and forced me to make decisions. Scott, what do you want to do with the middle schoolers this year? I don't know. Let's have a youth group. So he wrote middle school youth group on the board. When do you want to meet with them? Wednesdays. All right. He writes that on the board. How long? I said six to eight o'clock. He said, what do you want to do during those two hours? And 
play a game and, and read the Bible and talk about it and get into small groups and pray. He's like, you think that's going to take two hours? I said, how about 90 minutes? So he wrote 630 day. And we just, that was the process all day for middle school youth group, for high school youth group. If you're going to have uh, small groups, who, how are you going to get small group leaders? How are you going to get to know people so you can recruit small group leaders? By the end of the day, I knew what the rest of my summer was going to look like. And more importantly, Stuart knew that I knew what the rest of my summer was going to look like. It was a humbling experience. It was a stumbling stone, but it turned into a stepping stone. I grew. Stuart was a great mentor to me the three years that I was there. He was the best man at our wedding. And shortly after the wedding, he said to me, Scott, you should probably start thinking about seminary. This was the next step of faith for me, the next step of growth for me, following in the steps of Jesus. We all have a path. We all have a next step to take. I don't know what your path is. I don't know what the next step for you is, but there is a next step for every single one of us. There's a next step for me that I need to be thinking about and discerning. What does it look like for me to grow as a leader, to grow as a husband, to grow as a father? So one of the tools we have at Hope uh, to help us kind of discern what that next step might be is something we call the hope circle that we talk about on occasion around here. It's been around forever and ever. The starting place for the hope circle is this idea of seeker. And uh, the idea of seeker shows up all over the place in scriptures, but it's this idea of someone who does not quite know what they think or what they believe when it comes to faith, when it comes to Jesus, church, Christianity, that sort of thing. I think about Peter, this guy that we've been looking at uh, the last couple of weeks. Peter gets to a place in Matthew chapter 16, where he declares, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of uh, the living God. But Jesus, uh, Peter has been hanging out with Jesus for a couple of years before he gets to that place. Before he makes that declaration of faith, Peter is a seeker. He has questions. He's trying to figure out, what do I think? What do I believe about all of this stuff? And maybe that's you. Maybe you would say, I'm an atheist. I'm agnostic. Maybe you would say, I have no idea what those words mean, but I do know I have questions. I do know I don't have it all figured out. And if that's you, we built this church to be a safe place for people to bring these kinds of questions. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. Come. Seek out answers to your questions. That's what this church is all about. I think about this verse that a lot of people say is their favorite verse in the whole Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. It's a great verse. A lot of people say it's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. You keep reading a couple verses later, you get to another really hopeful verse. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Some translations simply say, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find me. It's a promise of God. So the step of faith for seekers, what it looks like to grow when you're a seeker, is to get to a place where you are able, like Peter, to say, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God. And that turns you into a believer, and then believers have growth to do. They become followers. And, and that step of faith, be, it involves becoming a disciple someone who's being trained by the master, and Jesus is our master, and followers have a step. They become servant leaders. There's a reason we put that at the bottom of the circle, because you put others first. 
You think of others above yourself when you are a servant leader. Where would you put yourself on the hope circle? What's the next step of growth and faith for you? You notice there are three other words in all caps here except produce, part of the hope circle. These three words come from a story Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4. Farmer is scattering seeds. Some of the seeds fall on hard soil. Some falls on rocky soil. Some falls on uh, weed-infested soil, and the seeds do not grow. But at the end of the story, Jesus says some of the seeds that the farmer scatters falls on good soil. And he says the seed that falls on good soil represents people who hear and accept. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. Hear and accept the, the good news of God's word. And then they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times what had been planted. Again, these words might be helpful to you as you think about where you would put yourself on the hope circle. Are you in a place where you need to just listen? You need to be taught. You need to learn. Maybe that's where you would find yourself on the hope circle. Are you in a place where you just need to keep doing what you've been doing for a while? That the situation of your life is you wish things would change and you wish it would change in a hurry, but maybe the step of faith, the step of growth for you is the step of accepting this is how things are. That's one of the most difficult steps of faith to take. Maybe you're in a season of producing because of everything that's been given to you, everything that's been poured into you, the goodness of God. You're in a place where you can now pour into others. You can teach them. You can show them a next step that that they can take. It's the hope circle. It's all about what does it look like to follow Jesus and grow as we follow Jesus. Now, at Hope, sometimes when we talk about growth, you'll hear us say, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And, And healthy growth happens in two important ways. We grow deeper. We mature in our faith. That's primarily what we've been talking about today. But healthy growth also means we grow wider, which simply means more and more people all the time, a part of what God is doing here. Uh, Take a look around the room. I I hope you notice we're experiencing some wide growth in our church this fall. Uh, Emily, I think we have to go on a retreat every weekend and then bring the 8th graders to the 11 o'clock service. And Ariel, if we could just have the preschoolers sing every weekend, I think that would help us grow wider. I think God's calling us to do it now. And if we could change the time every weekend, that would help too. You show up rested, it's just wonderful. I, I, I will say this. We have five services every weekend. The 915 service is almost packed like this every weekend. I don't know why. For, for whatever reason, that's the time people show up for church, 915. Um, if someone is new to church, has questions looking for a church, church home, new to the community, it seems like that 915 service is when they show up, and it's starting to run out of room. So those of you who maybe find yourself in this kind of a place, you might, this isn't for everyone, but it might be for a handful of people. Uh, maybe you typically come to the 915 service. You just happen to be here this weekend for all kinds of reasons. You, you might want to prayerfully consider choosing to leave the 915 service and go to another service to make room for more people, to make room for seekers, to make room for new people to our church. And by the way, I just told the 10 o'clock service, that's the service people should go to. You, you get to sleep in, and it gets done around 11. You still beat the Methodist to the restaurants. It's going to be <laughs> 10 o'clock. That's, why wouldn't you go to 10? Anyway, 
Um, Growing deeper and wider is what we're talking about. And one final thought about the Hope Circle. Picture it as a three-dimensional thing. It's not like you you become a seeker, you go around the circle once and you're done. Uh, The idea instead is uh, multiple times throughout the course of our life, whatever season we're in, you know, when I graduated from high school, new questions that I'm seeking out answers to. When I start working in a church, new questions I'm seeking out answers to. When I get married, when we have kids, when you experience a loss, there's all sorts of reasons why you would re-enter this process. So three-dimensionally, the hope circle is like an auger going deeper and deeper into the soil. That's a good way to picture it. And what Peter is trying to describe for us, the effort that we make, the work that we do, helps our faith grow deeper all the time. He he talks about it in verse 5. In the middle of the verse, he says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Do you see the steps? Step, 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 growing, maturing, faith getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Notice there's nothing deeper than love for everyone. Sometimes we make a mistake when when it comes to this idea. We think a deep faith, a mature faith, is all about moral excellence. And, And Peter says moral excellence matters, but it's not the goal. And sometimes we mess this up in church world. I talk to a lot of people who are sort of disinterested in church or maybe have been hurt by church, and they say, Scott, my experience, this is how church works. In church world, if I show up and prove that I can behave the right way and believe the right things, then you'll throw your arms around me and welcome me. And I think that's backwards, at least according to what Peter is getting at here. The starting point and the ending point is love. And the more we understand there's a God who loves us and says, you're welcome, you belong, you are part of the body of Christ and the body of Christ throws its arms around you and helps you know that you belong, that's one of the ways that you can change what you think, what you believe, how you behave. Is my faith growing? It's a good good question to ask ourselves and all sorts of ways you can answer that question, I suppose. Well, I'm reading the Bible more. I'm making an effort. That's good. That's a great step. I'm praying more. I'm showing up to worship more regularly. Awesome. Keep at it. Good, important steps to take. And just remember, all of the steps that we take, all of the work we do, all the efforting we do, it's moving us in the direction of growing in love for everyone. So when you ask yourself the question, is my faith growing? Really the question you need to be asking yourself, am I growing in love for all people? That's the goal. That's where this is all going. And that's why one of the reasons we have a goal this year at Hope uh, to get 700 people into small groups. And we're off to a good start. We got 300 adults in small group this fall. 300 adults, because we're not counting uh, the Ignition and Power Life students who are in small groups. We're not counting the small groups that happen in uh, children's ministry and Hope Kids. If we added them on, we'd be at 700 already. One of the reasons we encourage you to be in a small group is because following Jesus is a growing experience and that growth happens best in community. When when you have people around you, because that's when you get to practice things like what Peter is writing about, self-control and patience and love. Even if you're not part of an official small group at Hope, you're part of a community. You got family, you got friends, 
Maybe you're on a team at work, you're in a classroom at school. What steps can you take this week to grow in self-control and patience and love extended toward the people closest to you? Peter talks about these ideas in the, the letter that we're looking at this week, but so does the Apostle Paul in a letter that he writes called Galatians. In Galatians 5, Paul's talking about a life that is uh, powered by, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Another of the good gifts that God gives us is uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says the Holy Spirit, like a seed that's planted in good soil, it produces a harvest. It, it produces fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you follow Jesus, you're going to change. Oh no, what am I going to be like when Jesus changes me? More love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, guiding our lives, inspires us to take steps in this direction. And as we take steps in this direction, inspired by the Holy Spirit, life gets better and better. Life gets more and more beautiful. Life gets more tasty. One more clip from this uh, episode of season two of The Bear before we move to the Lord's Supper. Marcus is trying to grow as a chef. Uh, chef Luca is trying to help him grow. And the final lesson is a lesson on the importance of inspiration. Take a look. No, I think at a certain stage it becomes less about skill and it's more about being open. Open? Yeah, to, to the world, to yourself, to other people. You know, most of the incredible things I've eaten haven't been because the skill level is exceptionally high or there's loads of mad, fancy techniques. It's because it's been really inspired. You know? I like that. You can spend all the time in the world in here, but if you don't spend enough time out there, right. you know? Helps have good people around you too. So was it worth it, the time you put in? Ask me
even great chefs take pictures of their food, so okay. All that work, all that effort, all those long hours to become a great chef, was it worth it? And Lucas says, I don't know, ask me tomorrow. All the work, all the effort, all the stumbling and falling that you're going to do as you follow after Jesus, is it worth it? Absolutely. You can trust his promises, that he has something more for you, something better for you, now and for eternity. So make every effort to grow. But remember, it's in response to what God has done for you.